This is Sid Roth saying, Shalom Mishpacha. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the Mishpacha, the family with a Jewish heart. Welcome to today's edition of Messianic Vision and another appointment for you to be mentored to fulfill your destiny with one of our It's Supernatural guests. And now, here's your host for this program, It's Supernatural television producer, Donna Chavis. Well, thank you so much, Sid, and thank you all for joining us today for this very, very special interview with our guest. He is an author, a teacher, and currently he and his wife, Joanna, are the lead pastors of Virtual Church Media, which is providing an online church for those who cannot attend a tangible church. And in these crazy times, a lot of people can't. It reaches five continents. He's also the founder of Heart of America Prison Ministries. Now, let me tell you, his incredible transformation story exemplifies God's beautiful plan of redemption and grace. If you know him, this is going to be hard for you to believe, but he was actually a convicted felon. He spent 20 years in prison for stealing multi-million dollar jet aircraft for the Colombian drug cartel. Wow, I don't believe I've ever said that before. His life seemed to be stamped with a one-way ticket to hell. But, and we love to say, but God, it was dramatically and forever changed by his mother's prayers and a faithful God. Please welcome to the program today, David Herbedian. Hi, David. Hi, Donna. Thank you so much for having me today. Of course. I mean, I have been intrigued by your story since the moment that I picked it up. I have to say, we have never had anyone on the program with this with this kind of a story. And wait till you hear the outcome. So it is amazing. David, I, I wanted to start here. I, I know that your parents were both believers. Uh, your mom, a Jewish believer, Messianic believer. Your dad, Armenian, a believer as well. So so you had that, that upbringing, that Christian upbringing bringing in that belief in God, that faith in God around you. And even your mom was used prophetically. Tell me about the first time that you experienced the prophetic gift. I believe you were only seven years old. Yeah, I actually would have an angel rest over the foot of my bed by the ceiling when I would go to sleep at night. And so angelic activity for me was common and I thought everybody experienced that. And so it started at a very young age. I would come out to the kitchen to get a drink of water from my room at a young age. And uh, I would see like two people sitting on the couch. And I would later learn that we didn't have guests that night. They were angels. And when I would come out, I mean, if you had somebody in your house, you would be startled. But I yes. had complete peace and they would just look at me. And I think, well, why are they here? You know, it's like two o'clock in the morning. And so then when I would shut my door to my room, this almost like a ball of light, like a, I don't know what you call it, an orb or whatever. And when that would happen, I would feel protected and at peace. And I feared nothing in the night. Other children said they would be afraid and they're looking under the bed. And I, I had my angelic protection and I thought <laughs> everybody had that. And so that was common for me. And I had prophetic dreams and visions at a young age over you know, silly things now looking back, but it would be like over a deck of like Donald Duck playing cards and uh, a child would then, you know, steal my cards in kindergarten was my first encounter. 
and people were losing things. Little five-year-olds in kindergarten were losing things. And finally, I had a dream of exactly where the items were going. Hmm. And we were in an old school, grade school. And in the grade school, there was a heater in the wintertime. And the heater, you could actually, like, move it and lift it up, and there was some carpet. And underneath this young kleptomaniac in training at age five uh, was stealing things from other kids. And he, he, had, he didn't come from a good upbringing. And so I went and found the things and exposed and brought the teacher over. And in that moment, I was accused of stealing all the things oh, no. instead of him. And so I, I learned at a young age, when you have revelation, you have to be careful how you package and present it, or mm-hmm. the enemy can flip it on you. And uh, so then I had a dream. I used to have all these prophetic dreams, and they would you know, come to pass the next day, and I would, didn't know how to write my dreams down. And right. today, if you're listening, and you're having dreams or visions, and God's pouring out His Spirit on all flesh in these last days, He says, in the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams and visions. This is a promise to you, to every believer. My sheep hear my voice, and another they will not follow. John 10, 27, God wants you to hear his voice. It's your right. It's your privilege to hear the master's voice and then to be able to be led by the Spirit of God and those that are led by the Spirit of sons of God. And so what I didn't know at the time was I was being raised up in the prophetic and obviously took a 20-year derail through federal prison, as God taught me from on high in a prison cell. But back to grade school, uh, I would have these dreams and people would say, well, tell me something that's going to come to pass, dreamer, dreamer boy. And I encountered the Jezebel spirit at a young age, didn't know what it was, was through this uh, woman, this young girl, probably, you know, I think I was about nine years old, something like that, second or third grade. And she, she said, well, dreamer boy in front of some people, tell us a dream. It's going to something that's going to come to pass. So I went home and I prayed, and God, you know, vindicate me, show me something really big. And what happened was I had a horrible dream. The horrible dream was on a Thursday, our school teacher was going to have a car accident. And she was going to be out for the rest of the year. On Friday, we were going to have a substitute teacher, and they weren't going to tell us. And then on Monday, we were going to find out about the accident. And so it was a bittersweet cup because this dream that I had was was not good news. And not every dream you have is cake and ice cream. Sometimes you have to deliver a warning or pray that out of the way that God will mitigate that down. And so what happened just quickly was I went and shared the dream. And sure enough, Thursday came around and I said goodbye to the teacher. I was sad. And Friday she showed up, no problems. And I Mm. looked like a false prophet. What I didn't know was the following Thursday, this was going to happen. She was in a horrible car accident and thank God she lived. And on Friday we got a substitute teacher and he did not spill the beans at that point. Monday, we found out that was our teacher for the rest of the year. And it was a male teacher, which was very rare back then. So the details in the dream came to pass really down to the jot and the tittle. But again, not using wisdom with the prophetic. Like Joseph, the dreamer, I made some colossal mistakes. And maybe some of you listening have made some colossal mistakes 
it's okay. Get up, go again. God will work it out. What happened was then the girl and the other confirming witnesses that I had said something about this accident that was going to occur, they went and told the teacher, and then I was called aside as if I had prior knowledge of this accident, like it was foul play, and somehow I didn't warn people about the foul play. And so, again, this was not the best prophetic experience I had as a child. So I told God, I don't want this prophetic gift anymore. Stop the dreams. Yes. Yes. So I know in an effort to just kind of leave that behind, you started working hard. You wanted to be rich. You wanted to be popular. You wanted to overcome this stigma that had kind of been attached to you. And David, I know this happens to people, but you actually became involved with with drugs and transporting drugs and dealing drugs. And, and that was a serious situation for you. Yeah, what happened was I was working like at a Walmart and like a, a grocery store. I was teaching, um, was teaching swimming lessons and mowing lawns, and I was using my entrepreneurial gift and calling, and I was trying to do things the right way, and it wasn't working. And all my friends were out, you know, had allowances, and you know, I was raised up with a work ethic had my own Kool-Aid stand at age five, you know, <laughs> my mother measured out, you know, styrofoam cups yes, uh, per capita. Right. She taught me how to capitalize the business and that kind of thing. And, and so that's just how I was raised up in a, a Jewish family. You know, we're just taught that way uh, from a youth that's in our DNA. And so uh, I was trying to do things the right way. And my, my friends, I was working at like a, a convenience store in college and high school, and they're coming in having fun and partying and I'm working. And so I never really connected And this is what I believe. I believe the majority of the world's problems are caused and rooted in one thing, mankind trying to fulfill their God-given calling apart from God. For example, Moses was called to be a deliverer. He tried to fulfill his God-given calling without God, kills an Egyptian, and gets banished 40 years on the backside of the mountain. He then gets in sync and lockstep with God after the burning bush experience and 40 years of maturation, training, preparation, humility. And then he's brought back into Egypt and he delivers three million with the rod of God's authority in his hand, the staff of God's authority in his hand. And so what we do without God, we must either fail at miserably or succeed at it even more miserably. And when we repent and get in alignment with God, there will be a preparation time. Then God will launch us into our God-given calling and purpose with his authority. And he'll go before us and prepare the way. He'll come behind us and protect us. And we'll be in lockstep with God. Can two walk together except they be agreed, Amos 3.3? God wants us to be in agreement. And if you're listening today and that struck a chord on the drawstring of your heart, then just step into the perfect will of God by saying, Lord, I come out of agreement with my ways, trying to do my gift and calling apart from you or making you second. And I put you first and I say, you be the leader, Lord, and you lead yeah. me to all righteousness in Jesus yeah. name. Amen. Yes. Yes. Amen. Well, David, I want to take you to the day before you were actually arrested for your dealings with the drug cartels and for the, I, I don't even know how you, 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 you steal a jet airplane, but anyway, I want to take you to the day before that. And that prophetic gifting had not left you. You actually had a dream 
the day before you were arrested and you, it was about, it was about this. It was about the arrest and you just dismissed it and did it anyway. Yeah. What, what happened was uh, the day before I was arrested, I was in Kansas city at the time and I had this just very graphic detailed, uh, vivid color dream. And that's normally the way dreams come when they're from the Lord. It's they're in living color, especially when they're a warning of a type. Now, here I was in deep sin, you know, almost a reprobate and a depraved mind, but God was still speaking to me. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. They're without repentance, Romans eleven twenty nine. And so your wayward children, God is still working with them, even though you think they can't hear God. Trust me, you can break in. So God broke in in response to my mother's prayers, and he gave me a vivid dream. I was... Uh, on the tarmac of a private airfield in Boca Raton, Florida. It was about 9.05 in the morning, and uh, I had gotten out of a silver Mercedes Benz, and the plane that arrived with the Cessna Citation II jet, it was the second jet, you know, in a month that we had, you know, participated in. And in the dream, there was, the plane was brown and white, and there was a dent in the wing. And as the pilot got off, I went to go meet him, had a bag of cash, and as I went to go meet him, I mean, the feds swarmed the, the the tarmac of the airfield. There was about 30 of them that came out of everywhere. And I was arrested, and I ended up in a uh, courtroom, federal courtroom, and there was a, a female magistrate judge with a, a black robe, and I saw the complete description of her down to her black anodized uh watch. And wow. it was a Tag Heuer watch at the time. I was in the watch business on five watch stores at the time. And so I heard the charges read. And I also, they were talking about a second stolen Jetta Kinger 300 twin turboprop from the month before. And I woke up. And mm. so I went to go tell in Miami, I flew down to Miami. I tried to cancel the deal two times. So there was some level of action on the dream. It just, I just couldn't seem to stop the deal. So I went down to talk with uh, who would become my co-defendant in, in my book, Jet Ride to Hell, Journey to Freedom. His name is Vic. Names have been changed to protect some of the guilty. It's a joke we make, but um, yes, yes. <laughs> as I went to tell him the dream, he also was raised up in a Christian home. He had a grandmother and his, uh, his grandmother and her husband, he is part of the, the mafia in, uh, in New Jersey. And that grandfather had actually repented and got right and came out of that lifestyle and the rest of them either went to jail or died or whatever and so my co-defendant Vic had a godly upbringing I had a godly upbringing but we were wayward and mm -hmm. we were both seeking money to go do our callings without God he was a licensed chiropractor I was an entrepreneur and so mm -hmm. anything you do without God, you either got to fail at miserably, succeed at more miserably. And here we were succeeding. And what happened was this. I told him about the dream. And he looked at me and he goes, wow. And he goes, that's crazy. And we tried to cancel the deal, couldn't. And we looked at each other. And I said, Vic, what do you think? He goes, ah, what's in a dream? I go, yeah, what's in a dream? We laughed it yeah. off. And we wow. were like lambs that went to our own slaughter that day. And we arrived. And there was no reason for me to drive the, uh, the Mercedes-Benz um, or Sally wasn't, or, or Vicky wasn't going to be on the tarmac. 
but the seat broke. He was taller than me. He ended up driving on the tarmac. The plane was supposed to be blue and white. It arrived brown and white with a dent in the wing, and it was uh. supposed to arrive at 8 in the morning. It was delayed until 9.05 in the morning, and sure enough, feds came out, about 30 of them, from all different angles. We were arrested. We ended up in a courtroom with a female magistrate judge with a black anodized tag Hoyer watch on her wrist. The charges were red, and then they talked about the King Air 300 from the month before. And as I was in the courtroom next to Vic, he and I even saw the agent. He was an orange-haired agent with boots and mud on his boots. Everything matched down to the jot and tittle. And Vic turned to me, and he said, Dave, Dave. I go, I'm trying to listen. He said, Dave. He says, look, this is just like your dream. I oh, go, wow. He says, look, even down to the orange-haired agent and, and the mud on his boots. And look. Her watch is the same as you described. And I said, oh, my gosh. He said, what happened to the dream? Did we get convicted or acquitted? I said, I don't know. I, I woke up. He said, uh, go back to sleep. Go back no. to sleep and find out. <laughs> and so it would be months later. That was in January of 1989. In June of 1990, so almost a year and a half later, uh, Vic was in a prison cell with me in Leavenworth Penitentiary in Building 63. And if I just might highlight, if you're not right with God in Leavenworth Penitentiary, you're always just one heartbeat away from hell. And there was some not-so-nice things that happened. That's where the Birdman of Alcatraz actually had his birds. It was not in Alcatraz in California. It was in Leavenworth in Kansas. Yes. And Ooh. there were cockroaches in the cell. It was really a horrible thing. God took me from penthouses to the penitentiary and, and broke me down in response to my mother's prayers. And Donna, if I could just say this, I want to speak to mothers today. If you're a mother yes. and you've been praying for your prodigal child, don't give up. Your, your prayers are so powerful to release the hounds of heaven to go pull your children out of car accidents and drug addiction and gang violence and mafia things and cartels and drug dealing. God will extract them out of the situation and place upon them then Psalms 91 protection. Though a thousand fall by their side and 10,000 by their right hand, it will not come near them. They will only see with their eyes and behold the destruction of the wicked. But God is pulling them out and putting them on the path of salvation through the cross of Calvary. And where they get derailed through woundedness or rejection, God's re-railing them and putting them back. He's sending people to share the gospel yes. with them and to bring them yes. to Christ in response to your prayers. Don't Boy, give up. I, I feel that. I'm a mom. I know exactly what you're talking about. A lot of prayer going on. Well, I want to move on to, uh, let me just say this first. You, you were in the courtroom. Once you were sentenced, you were expecting maybe a year and a half, two years sentence, but because of a, several turns of events, you actually wound up with a 20-year sentence, David. I can't even imagine. But once you were there, once you were there, you were inside that, that cell, you were in that prison. God arranged something that got your attention in such a supernatural way. What happened? Well, there was three things that happened back to back to back. The first thing was uh, there was a gentleman there and uh, his name is Shane. He's gone on to be with the Lord. 
I can't remember what we named him in the book, Jet Ride to Journey to Freedom, but Shane was a drug dealer that was meteoric in Kansas City. He was moving about 600 kilos of cocaine a month, and that's a lot of cocaine. And so he ended up going to prison. He ended up getting born again. He got out, and he backslid about five years after you know he had been born again. He was a real committed believer. He knew the word. He backslid, and he was in a one-car auto accident, so he had a broken back, five compression fractures, and three blown discs in a cell. And here I am with Vic, a chiropractor who used to see, you know, 80 to 100 patients a day at his practice. He just used to go through them. And so, I'm sorry, 80 to 100 patients a week. Long story short, here I am in a cell in Leavenworth with a man who's got a broken back, five compression fractures, and three blown discs. And I'm with my co-defendant, Vic, who's a chiropractor, and Vic can't do anything for him. And they took Shane's back brace. And the metal strips in the back brace weren't allowed because they could be used as a weapon in the uh. lockdown unit. They wouldn't give him any painkillers. So here we are in this prison cell. And the first thing that happens is we're listening or he's listening to R.W. Shambach out of Tyler, Texas on 1550 <laughs> a.m. in this, you know, metal and cement cell where we've got to, like, angle our little radio with our headphones uh, against the metal to get signal, and it's kind of scratchy. And they were encouraging me uh, to get born again. They were, you know, sharing the gospel with me, but I just wasn't happy, and I was just too bitter at that point and still self-reliant. Long story short, I saw Shane pray the prayer of faith with R.W. Shambach every day on the radio. Never discount the power of God coming through a radio or a TV broadcast to give you the same miracle as if you were in the room with a minister or with Jesus himself, because it is Jesus who yes. does those miracles. And so even today, we're going to pray at the end, and God's going to do some miracles and people. God's going to give some words of knowledge, and you're going to see dramatic changes happen in your life and the life of your loved ones because God is good. And so I remember praying a prayer because it was a pathetic sight. We're in an 8 by 16 prison cell with the cockroaches, and Shane is literally three feet away from me in his, his bunk and Shane and, and, and Vic is in back. And what happens is this. I said, God, if you're real, and God mm. set me up for this. <laughs> I'm not saved, Donna. And my first unsaved prayer <laughs> is an unsaved person. It's a prayer of healing. And I said, God, if you're real, and if you're up there, and if you can heal, and if you still heal today, I'm not asking for myself. I'm asking for Shane who claims to be your servant, and I believe he is, I'm asking you for him that you would heal him of these five compression fractures and three blown discs. And before my eyes, Donna, I saw what came down over his head like a clear gel, like almost a honey. And as it came down his head, it went down his shoulders and his back, and I heard the words audibly, pop, pop, crack, pop, Mm. pop, crack, pop. And he turned to the right and he turned to the left and he pulled his headphones off his ears. And he said, Vic, Dave, I'm healed. And he began to speak in tongues. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he got up and Vic went to examine him, which he had done before. And he said, there's nothing I can do for you. He looked and all the bones were back in the correct spots. And Shane bent down in the prison cell and the third, first time he went down to his knees, the second time he went down to his calves, the third time he went down to his feet, and the fourth time he put his palms. He had more flexibility than me 
on the <laughs> ground. He had full mobility and was completely healed with a recreative miracle. Well, that changed things for me about my perspective on the God of the I Bible, the God of the supernatural. Did. Yes. It, and so I did not get born again that night. Instead, a second thing happened. I had a hairline fracture in my ankle that had been persistent. We weren't able to get out and exercise, couldn't get sunshine, no vitamin D. It wasn't healing, and it had been about six months. And I said, God, I said, um, you know, you healed Shane. I've got this hairline fracture. And, you know, you don't have good theology when you're not saved. Sometimes you don't have great theology after you're saved. But thank God we've got <laughs> neology to get us in the presence of God on our knees, and he'll fix everything else. But I said, God, I'm not asking for a sign, although it would kind of, uh, you know, bolster my faith a little bit. You did it for Shane, but if you could heal this hairline fracture, I would really appreciate it. I said, you know, I don't want to ask for a sign because Jonah asked for a sign, ending up in the belly of a big fish, and I'm already in the belly of Leavenworth Penitentiary. I don't want things to get worse, but if you could. And I heard this still small voice of God, which I now know is a still small voice, and I heard these words, ask Vic to pop your ankle. This is your act of faith. And I thought, so I said, Vic, would you do me a favor? He said, what? I said, would you pop my ankle? And he's a chiropractor. And he said, well, I'm busy. I'm thinking, we're in Leavenworth Penitentiary looking at yeah, life in prison. How busy can you be? You know, exactly. we're in 8 by 16 cell. So I said, could you just pop my ankle? And he said, okay. So he reached out. He grabbed my foot. And when he did, he went to put his other hand on my foot to pop my ankle, and it popped before he touched it with his second hand. And he said, well, that's strange. I've never seen that happen before. I said, no, no, we're good. He was, let me pop your other ankle. And I said, okay. So he pops my other ankle, and it pops with both hands. And I get up, and I walk around, and all the pain is gone. But I kept this in my heart, like Mary hid these things in her heart. Two days later, I went to a visit, and I went out to the visit, and I had to walk about a quarter of a mile in shackles and chains and belly change and, you know, all that stuff. And so I'm doing the, 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 the six-inch shuffle to the, to the visiting room, and they take off my shackles, and I'm walking around the visiting room, and there's no pain. And I come back, and that, that afternoon I said, I want to share with you what happened when you popped my ankle. And I shared the story. And that night we had a Bible study, and I gave my life to Christ in 1990 and never looked back over 30 years ago. And it was like a pact or covenant relationship from my Jewish upbringing. We make covenant. We cut covenant with God. So it wasn't an emotional experience. I had no tears. It was just matter of fact, okay, God, I give you my life. And I thank you for giving me yours. And I surrender my life. I believe Jesus died on the cross. He was buried in the tomb on the third day. He was raised from the dead. I turn from my sins and I turn to you. And I turn from the world, drug trafficking, all these things, I turn to you. And that was repent, 180-degree turnaround, which is repent, mm -hmm. about faith, return to the penthouse, the highest place with God instantly. I went from prodigal son in the penitentiary to the palace in the penthouse with God, even though my geographic location hadn't changed one iota. Everything changed. Old things were passed away, and all things are become new. You may be listening right now, and you just heard that, and something touched. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus says, if any man come in, I will come. If any man open up, I will come in and have a table of peace. You don't eat dinner with your enemies. You eat dinner with your friends. Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah, wants 
to have a table of peace with you. And if you want to receive him and you hear him knocking on the door of your heart right now, let's just take a moment. Just say, Lord Jesus, I hear you knocking. I want to be yours and I want you to be mine. I exchange my life for yours. I turn from my old ways and I turn to you. I repent from pornography and lying and these things that I've done. I repent from self-reliance in my gift and calling and any other thing that's hindered me and kept me from my destiny. I give these things up to you and I receive it the law of exchange your life for mine. And I thank you for coming in and baptizing me in the yeah. Holy Spirit and fire and changing me from the inside out, taking out my heart of stone and giving me a heart of flesh and causing your spirit to come in to move me from the inside to follow your decrees and keep your commands and write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Yes. And yes. I thank you for it right now. And give me a hunger and a thirst for the word. If you don't have a Bible, go online and get one, download one. If you have one that's been <laughs> there, dusted off. It's the basic instructions before leaving earth, B-I-B-L-E, and you'll be transformed by the Holy Spirit's power and the Word of God. And the Word of God will come alive now like you've never seen it before because something shifted for you today yeah. with that prayer. Yes. Woo. David, yes. And Donna, now, Donna yeah. there was one other thing that happened. And this is when Jesus appeared in the cell next. So it was the day before I was going to sentencing, and I'd been indicted a couple of times on the same evidence, eventually three times over a period of five years, and that's in my book, Jet Ride, Hell Journey to Freedom. But what happened was this. I was going to sentencing alone, and I had prophetic dreams that I would be sentenced alone instead of with my co-defendant, which didn't make sense. All these things that happened didn't make sense, and then they would come to pass. And so God was raising me up with dreams and visions and the prophetic, but now he was adding wisdom to me. And so I didn't feel like praying. I was looking at 22 years in federal prison at the time. And I said, hey, guys, would you, you know, be willing to pray with me before I go to court tomorrow? And they said, yeah. And again, I did not feel like praying. There was no real unction to pray. There wasn't. I just felt like it was an act of obedience unto the Lord. And so I got off my bunk, and I got on one knee. I still was prideful, and God brought me down on both knees. And I prayed a prayer, God, I'm going to court today. I need you to be with me. And it wasn't much of a prayer. And we got done, and all of a sudden, the atmosphere in the room began to change. And it became this heavenly peace began to fill the room. And then Jesus appeared before the three of us in a white robe by the shower. He didn't say anything. And he had his arms to his side, and then he would raise his arms up. And the, the part of the robe would come up, and it would kind of hang down like the wings of Psalms 91. He will, you know, cover you with his wings. And then what happened was I began to bubble forth in tongues. And spoke about five different distinct languages that night, and I would pray in English. I would seal the prayer in tongues, and then Vic would get interpretation of tongues. And yes. this went on for about two hours, and the power of God was in 
the prison cell, and everything outside of our cell was muffled. It's like we were sectioned off almost in like a plexiglass cube where we couldn't hear the yelling down the hallway. And Jesus also went through a color cycle, which I wouldn't learn or understand until, you know, months and months later, but he was a white, bright white, and then it went to a heavenly blue like no other blue I've ever seen in the earth, and then it would go back to white, and there was about two minutes of peace in the color cycle. Then he would turn to like a scarlet red, not him, but his robe and the glow that was coming off of it. And he stayed about 15 minutes and then dissipated, and then um, I saw a cloud on the floor. Later I learned that this is the Shekinah glory of fire, or Shekinah glory presence of God, the tangible manifest cloud of God's presence that they cloud by day, fire by night. Did all three of you see this as well? Were all three of you, uh, was this visible to all of you that were in that cell? Yes, absolutely. And we had a new cellmate at that point, Big George, and who had done 26 out of the last 30 years in prison and was now looking at, you know, double life. He ended up with life, you know, plus 90. And so uh, he's still in prison. And so Big George uh, had been on the, you know, America's most wanted list and, you know, was not a great guy. Um, but he ended up getting born again and became a great guy because God changed him from the inside. But at that time, he was about six foot three. And this was a violent guy. He was in a fetal position, balled up in the corner of his bed because he couldn't look because of the glory of God in the room. And mm -hmm. see, the glory of God, when it's revealed, will either draw people in or drive them away. To one, it's the aroma of life unto life. To the other, it's the aroma of death unto death, the fragrance of his knowledge diffused in every place. This is why when ministers are on TV and they're ministering in the glory, people are drawn to it that are hungry and thirsting after righteousness, and other people will accuse them and mock them and make terrible statements because they're driven, because it's the state of the human heart. When you're leaning into God, you'll see him for who he is. When you're leaning away from God, you'll not recognize him. And that's a whole other teaching. But yes, what yes. happened was Big George was in a fetal position. He was shaking in fear as the presence of God. He later got right, and the Lord healed him of, I think, colon cancer uh, in the cell. And he went on to become the handball champion in Leavenworth for several years. But um, what happened was I saw a, a white cloud on the floor, and I, I heard test the spirits, and I pointed at the white cloud about the size of, you know, maybe a man's hand. And I said, do you know Jesus? And when I said that, it sparked platinum and gold, and it began to expand on the floor. And it began to fill the whole floor. And I said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And every time I said Jesus, it would spark in the white cloud platinum and gold. And it was, like, amazing. And so I stepped in, onto the floor, and I stepped into the cloud, and it was around my legs and ankles. And every time I said, Jesus, it would spark. And I could feel like an electricity, but, you know, kind of a fun, static electricity. It wasn't painful. And I heard the words drink from the cloud. And I had sinus problems. And so I reached down into the cloud and it was tangible. And I pulled it up to drink from it. And as I got it toward my mouth, it sprung back into itself. And I tried this three times. It kept springing back into itself. And then I realized I had to kneel down into the cloud and humble myself and drink from it. Like Gideon had to kneel and, and lap the water. 
So I went down and I drank from the cloud and I inhaled it or drank it in. It went down into my lungs, up into my sinuses, and God supernaturally healed me instantly in the cloud of his presence of chronic sinus problems. Wow. Wow. And then, and that's when, you know, tongues and interpretation of tongues, and the, the cloud of his presence stayed until morning. I would later experience the cloud of his presence on different occasions. But that was my entrance into the kingdom of God with mighty, outstretched signs and wonders. And I would later be sentenced to 22 years in federal prison. I would end up serving really 20 with good time, 19 years, six months, a week, and a day in federal prison, 1,000 hamburger days. They give you a hamburger a week in federal prison. So I did 1,000 hamburger days. But God brought me from the jet ride to hell to the journey to freedom. And he transformed me through the renewing of my mind, through the washing of the water of the word. And, you know, my journey to freedom is speckled and touched with the hand of God, where he trained me through the experiences and then drove me to the word to find out where is this in scripture? So it yes. took me nine months to find the Shekinah glorifier of God. It took me about nine months to find the color schemes like the Gospels are color-coded. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are, you know, uh, blue, purple, red, and white. And so that's another conversation. But the sinless man is white. You know, the son of man is red. And, and so we'll, we'll, that's another teaching. Okay, well, let me do this. I think this is a really good place to take uh, just a quick moment and let everyone that's listening know, David, you have prepared a six-CD audio course that honestly, I have to say, is life-changing. It's called Freedom in the Glory, and you're going to get several messages that David has selected that that he knows are powerful. They're anointed, and literally, as I said, they will be life-changing for you. Whew, that is exciting, and we're even going to include a little bonus for you, which is going to be called uh, the Hope Shield. And this is just a little Bible insert card that will be at your fingertips in a moment. Anytime you need a little reminder of that hope that is within you. So I want everybody to know that wasn't very long that those things started happening once you got in prison. And God got your attention quickly because I know he had a plan for you. And you know he had a plan for you inside those walls. But things started happening quickly. Like you said, good behavior there. Uh, just, just God giving you favor. And you started getting the opportunity to minister and opportunity to minister. Tell us about actually going on to the death ward, what they call the death ward in this prison, and what you discovered there. So I was in Springfield, Missouri, the medical center for federal prisons, 1995 to 1998. And um, they have what's called the death ward. And the death ward is where people are dying. It was building three, second floor. And so we wanted to get up to the death ward to pray for the sick, and they wouldn't let me up there. And so I took a friend of mine with me. I said, I just have an unction. They're going to let us up today. So we rode the elevator up to the second floor in Building 3. We get off. We go to the officer's station. And when we go to the officer's station, I said, hi, we're here to pray for the sick. And the officer looked at me, and he laughed. He goes, you're unauthorized area. He says, uh, uh, 
I'm going to throw you in the hole in solitary confinement. I said, that's fine. I said, I don't mind being thrown in the hole. If we can pray for the sick, I'd be happy to go to the hole, but we're here to pray for the sick. And he looked at me, and the person who was with me just stood there. And the three nurses started laughing. And he <laughs> said, uh, what are you guys laughing about? Let him pray for the sick. We think this is funny. He's actually willing to go to the hole. He's not up here as what was referred to as grave robber. These people that are on the death ward, other inmates would come up saying they're praying for him. They'd steal their watches, their stamps. It was horrible. And so that's the reason they wanted to protect, you know, the inmates. And uh, so he said, okay, he says, here's what we're going to do. He says, I'm going to throw you in the hole. He says, but you're going to pray for the sick first. He says, but you've got to start in that room first. And I said, okay. So we walk in and there's three beds in there and all three men are in comas. And there was a man that was in a coma, but his bed had netting all the way around it and over the top. And it was to keep him from rolling out of bed in his coma. He was tormented. And Mm -hmm. so I thought, wow, this is a tall call. So I raised up my hands and so did my friend. We began to pray and we felt nothing, Donna. And sometimes when you pray, you feel nothing. Don't give up. Wait upon the Lord. He'll renew your strength. And as we raised our hands, it was dead as a doornail. It was cold in the room. And this went on for about two minutes. And a dead prayer for two minutes is like an eternity, especially when a guard is getting ready to throw you in the hole. And he's looking, and he walked away. And all of a sudden, the presence of God came in. The glory of God came in. And this man who was in the coma leaned up, and his arms, his wrists were tied to the bed, not as a restraint to punish him, but as a restraint to protect him from rolling around in this tormented coma. And as he came up, he looked and he had demonic presence in his eyes and the demon stared at me. And I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you spirit of torment and death. I curse you and I command you to come out of him. And all of a sudden his eyes changed and I could see his eyes look at me and he rested back on the bed. And the presence of God was in. So now it became easy to pray. So we prayed for the other two, and God began to touch them. We went down the hall, and a healing move of God broke out on the death ward. We prayed for AIDS victims that were then off, uh, you know, the death ward within 48 hours. Things had changed in their lives. I went into a young black gang member's room, and he had been shot in his back while he was out on bond. He was doing 15 years, and he had four or five bullets in his back, and he couldn't move his leg. He was paralyzed from the waist down, but he had a grandmother praying for him. I said, do you believe in God? He goes, well, yeah, I guess. My grandmother's told me. I said, do you read the Bible? He said, no, no. I said, could we pray for you? He goes, well, I'm paralyzed. I said, that's fine. I said, God's bigger. He healed the paralytic. I just had this faith on me. So we prayed for him, and instantly he had feeling in the bottom of his feet. He said, I can feel my feet. He started to wiggle his toes. And uh, so what happened was, God, over a period of two weeks, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Some miracles are instant. Others are over a process of time where you recover. The gifts of healing, you recover. The working of miracles is instant. The next thing I know, he's in physical therapy. He's now walking and he's out of a wheelchair. And then they reduced his sentence because of his health situation. He ended up going to a camp and ended up getting released in three years instead of 15 and we yeah. ended up ministering, and there was a specific mafia don. I went into his cell, and there was like a, a lieutenant that was also up there on the death ward with him. Neither were healthy. They were in the same 
cell together, very famous mafia don out of New York, one of the five families. And I walked in. I said, can we pray for you? And he looks at me. He says, what? Get out of here, kid. I said, <laughs> well, we'll get out of here. I said, I said, I just want to know if we can pray for you first. I said, you know, you're on the death ward. I said, and, you know, he looks back. He goes, hey, Vinny, kid wants to pray for me. What do you think of that? Get out of here. I go, we'll, we'll leave. I have no problem with that, but you haven't answered my question. Can we pray for you? And he looks at me. He goes, kid, you want to pray for me? I go, yeah. And he says, you got, you know, you got a word that I won't use, but it was a compliment. Like I got chutzpah, but yes, in yes. Italian sense, <laughs> you got chutzpah, <laughs> and, uh, but in Italian terminology. And so, um, I said, do you believe in God? And this emaciated little old man who had been convicted for 13 murders where he'd ordered mm -hmm. in New York, mm -hmm. he reached up and grabbed my arm. When I asked him if he believed in God, he looked me in the eyes real serious. He said, kid, he's all we've got left. And this wow. guy was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. But the max he can spend is his commissary limit of a few hundred dollars, and he's dying. And I said, let me pray for you. I prayed for him. The power of God hit him, raised him off the death ward. He lived 13 more years. Wow. For every murder he was convicted of, this is the grace of God. God gave him an extra year on his life when he repented. Whew. Wow. Wow. Well, what happened to the comatose man, the man that you prayed for first? So the comatose man, now we're leaving the death ward, and I go back into the, the coma room where they had three beds. And as I raised my hands up this time, it didn't take two minutes. It was instant. The presence of God rolled in like a tsunami. And he leaned up in the bed and now was no longer tormented with demons in his eyes. It was his eyes. And he was looking at me for answers. He couldn't talk. And I said, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Would you like to turn from your sins and turn to him? And he looked at me and he kind of like nodded with his, his eyes as he's like leaning up with his arms, you know, tied to the twist ties in the bed. Like, yes, I want that. So I led him in a sinner's prayer. There's no words that came out of his mouth. He couldn't talk, but he looked and all of a sudden he, he received Jesus. I saw Jesus go in. I don't know how to describe it. I saw the Holy Spirit go in. And all of a sudden when this was happening, he looked away from me and he looked up and peace came into his eyes. He saw the one that saved him. And he laid back down in the bunk and he went to sleep. Mm -hmm. And we walked out. I told the guard, I said, we're ready to go to to solitary housing unit, we're done. And it'd been about an hour, and it's just a great move of God. People were coming out of the, in the hallways, and the healing line had happened. And all, about half of these people were off the death ward within uh, about 72 hours, and they're released to lesser levels of care. And as we, and, and the guard says, you know, I'm not going to throw you into the hole. You two are authentic Christians. And the nurses says, pray for him in the elevator. So we prayed for <laughs> yes. him in the elevator. God touched him. And we left the death ward without a scratch, although we were willing to go to the hole to, to sacrifice, to pray for them. God delivered us out of the snare of the fowler. And we found out that this man in the coma died nine minutes later. 
and went oh. home to be with Ooh. Jesus. Ooh, he got in you. with a shirt tail of smoking mm. just in mm -hmm. time. Wow. Wow. Well, listen, I, I want to switch directions just a little bit here, David. We've got a few minutes left. And honestly, uh, one of the parts of this audio teaching course that you have prepared talks about hope and, and something that is called hope deferred. And you've got two of these messages in here that's called setting hope free. Now, I know you had been like 15 years in prison tough, tough, solitary confinement, you know, dealing with the mafia, dealing with people who wanted to kill you, dealing with evil spirits. But then something came upon you that was so totally hidden and unexpected, and you call it hope deferred. Will you explain that to us? Yeah, I was 15 years into my prison, but I was at a camp at this point. I was no longer in Leavenworth Penitentiary. I was in Leavenworth Camp. So I had all this liberty, and I was preaching uh, Bible studies, teaching Bible studies, equipping the saints. God was healing the sick, casting out devils. People were being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Everything was good, but there was something that was very subtle, and it had crept into my life. And I didn't know it was hope deferred, which is a demonic spirit. The Bible says in Proverbs thirteen twelve, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is like a tree of life. Well, Solomon said, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of your heart flow all the other issues of life, Proverbs 4.22. And so what happened was I did not understand hope deferred, didn't know what it was, never heard a teaching yes. on it in my yes. life. And this battle raged for like three years in the midst of being in ministry and seeing Bibles go to prisoners for a Bible ministry and all these other amazing things were happening. I was suffering. And there was a pain in the left side of my back where this demon had stuck a talon in and gotten a stronghold there. And what I didn't know at the time is hope deferred really shows up in three forms. And that's how it gets an access and a stronghold in your life and my life if we're not careful. Number one, life's very real circumstances that contradict the promises of God. So God gives you a promise, everything turns 100% on, uh, on a 180 degrees different. Joseph so told you'll be, you know, uh, all your, 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 your family will bow down to your sheaves, you know, you're going to be exalted. What happens? He ends up a slave sold into slavery. And so mm -hmm. yes. when yes. hope deferred comes, it's to test you for your calling a lot of times. So number one, life's very real circumstances that contradict the promises of God in Scripture, the promises of God that have come prophetically. That's when a stronghold begins. A stronghold is something that's contrary to the Word of God, but you accept it as unchangeable. Number two, the negative mindset that develops that's contrary to the Word of God. And all of a sudden, you start to get frustrated or angry or you get disillusioned or hopeless. But the good news is hope floats. The enemy can push <laughs> hope down, yeah. but it'll pop back up. And then the third thing is a demon spirit that comes to, our to oppress our minds and sicken our hearts against God. We become bitter. The heart becomes sick or polluted or bitter. And now we're like, you know what? I'm not serving you, God. I'm just going to live my life, and we're just going to you know, do what we do, and you know, I'll still read the Word of God. Or I'll... We get an attitude. An attitude determines altitude. 
And if we have a bad attitude, it will lower our altitude in God, and we'll no longer see things from heaven's perspective. From an aerial point of view, looking down, we'll see them from an earthly perspective in the natural circumstances. And it's a dangerous place, and this is why hope deferred is so subtle. And now when these three elements of deferred hope arrive in combination, life's very real circumstances, the negative mindset that develops, and a demon spirit comes in, when these three elements of deferred hope arrive in combination, they become a demonic three-ply cord that is not easily broken. Like Ecclesiastes 4.12 talks about in a positive sense, there's also a negative sense. At this point, we really need supernatural deliverance from heaven to set us free. The ironic part is once we get to this third stage of hope-deferred bondage, we usually don't even realize we've been trapped and brought into captivity by the enemy of our souls through the strategy of hope deferred. David, and, and you said this spirit is not like other spirits in the fact that it's not a all-out, in-your-face, full-on attack, that, that like you're describing it, you don't even recognize it at first. It kind of slips up on you. Yeah, hope deferred is very tricky, very crafty, very subtle. It's very silent. It's slow-moving. It plays the long game. And so, for example, five examples of God's servants who experienced hope deferred, Abraham. Abraham, the father of our faith, experienced hope deferred for 25 years while waiting for the promise of a child who would make him the father of many nations. Finally, at age 100, Abraham laughed at and disbelieved the possibility of having a child when God's messenger angel visited him in Genesis 17, 17. Yet, he came through hope deferred and became the father at age 100, miraculous, his wife yeah. Sarah at age 90, and they overcame hope deferred and birthed uh, the rest of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Sarah, his wife, experienced hope deferred until she was 90 years old and laughed when God's angel spoke to her in Genesis 18:12. In her disbelief, she gave her husband bad advice to sleep with Hagar. Right. <laughs> her servant became his concubine, and Ishmael was birthed. This work of the flesh still inflicts harm against God's people today, 4,000 years later, with the conflict between those two bloodlines that both come through Abraham. Joseph effectively stood against hope deferred in the Old Testament while in prison on false rape charges. He was called by God to be the deliverer of Egypt, the Egyptians, and his own Israelite family and bloodline. Even after God's intervention with a sign for good to show that God was still with Joseph, he still had to wait in faith for years, two more years behind bars. Mm. 22 years later, God performed the miracle to Joseph. The result, God was able to raise Joseph up to become a deliverer of two nations. Maturity and growth for a tall calling takes years. And if you haven't received a microwave miracle, but like me, you were in the crock pot for 22 years, God's trying to get the flavor through and through and make you authentic and purge you from the inauthentic so he can trust you with a greater calling. Moses was 40 years on the backside of the mountain. Hope deferred could have made his heart sick, but instead he pressed into God and became a deliverer yes. of all the Israelite people. So that's just uh, 
Uh, a couple of examples, Lot's daughters suffered from hope deferred instead of pressing into God. They got their father drunk and were pregnant, and two incestuous nations were born out of that. And the children of Israel experienced hope deferred as slaves to a pagan king in Egypt for 430 years. The zealots during Jesus's day, over 30,000 people were crucified, not just Jesus. He was just one of many under Roman government. It was a type of barbaric, you know, fear-inducing uh, execution, and many zealots were bound with hope deferred that made their hearts sick, and they went and rose up against the government instead of waiting for God to come in and deliver, and they ended up becoming insurrectionists, and they ended up dying on crosses. Today, you may be suffering from hope deferred what's going on in your own nation. Stand firm and watch the salvation of the Lord. Don't rebel. Wait upon the Lord. Pray through. And uh, Anna the prophetess waited for the consolation of Israel, and she was in prayer and fastings in the temple of God, and she saw the Messiah, and she was then able to come home with the Lord. So hope deferred will come to make your heart sick so that all your decision-making becomes jaded, polluted, or perverted instead of clear, clean, and concise in the timing of the Lord. I can, can imagine that during this last two years that we have all been through, not just in our own country, not just in our nations, but all over the world, I can imagine that this is possibly rampant in people's hearts. Right now, it's interesting, on the heels of coming through COVID and a pandemic and a global situation, and a lot of it doesn't make sense, and I'm not going to get into that, but let's focus in on hope deferred has subtly crept in. It's like death with a thousand cuts. The first one doesn't kill you. The second one doesn't kill you, but you get worn down, and the false promises of two weeks to flatten the curve to two more weeks to two years, to where it never ends. That type of, they keep kicking the can down farther. And that's what the enemy does. He kicks hope down further. Right when you think it's going to happen, all of a sudden it's kicked down further. And you're like, Lord, I need strength. Show me a token, a sign for good, that those that hate me might see it and be ashamed. Lord, strengthen me. I need a fresh injection of hope, or I'm going to lose hope and become disillusioned. Lord, protect my heart, cleanse my heart so bitterness doesn't get in the seeds of bitterness. And what happens is, you know, Jeremiah said, why do the wicked prosper? Sometimes that's what we say, Lord, why do the wicked prosper? They're at work. They got promoted. I did the right thing. When God promotes you, you'll have a leapfrog anointing and he'll raise you above your peers. Wait upon the Lord. Don't serve your masters or your boss only when he's looking or she's looking but with eye service only, but do it under the Lord and he'll promote you in due season. And if they won't promote you, God will cause some other company to call you and promote you, or he'll give you a new idea, a witty invention, a dream, a vision, a book. He will promote you when you wait upon him. Do not lose hope, but put your eyes on hope personified, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the sea walker, and don't allow the enemy to distract you with the vicissitudes of life or the winds and the waves of adversity, but press into God because he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, and he will give you double 
for your trouble when you remain single-minded on him. When we're double-minded, we receive nothing. The double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, should expect to receive nothing from the Lord. And if you were single-minded on evil like I was, you'll get double punishment. Revelation 18 says, pour out unto her double for her sins and iniquity. So today I want to encourage you to recalibrate with your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher. Look into his eyes and the things of this earth shall go strangely dim in the light of his glory and face and grace. And he'll pull you out with mighty outstretched arms and deliver you from hope deferred and give you double for your trouble with the leapfrog anointing above your peers in a single day. Amen. Hey, hey, David, tell me quickly. I know, like you said, this had come in and, and just kind of taken you off guard. But what did you do to gain your freedom from this? So I was in pain in my body. It got to the point where I couldn't read my Bible. I couldn't pray in the spirit. Every time I pray, it would increase. It was like a talon from an enemy. It almost felt like I had cancer in my back. That's how bad the pain was. And I wasn't telling anybody. So finally, one day from prison, I called a saintly couple that were head of the healing rooms in uh, Lee Summit, Missouri, Lee and Doris Harms. And as I, as I uh, called to talk with Lee, Doris answered the phone and she said, Lee's not here. I said, I really need some prayer. She said, what's going on? And I said, I had pain in my back. She said, how long has this been going on? I said, well, really, really, uh, the last six months it's gotten pretty intense. She said, well, how long has it been going on prior to that? And I said, really, about three years. She said, have you told anybody? I said, no, I'm just kind of soldiered through it. And she said, oh, she said, let's pray. And as she began to pray, she said, Lord, I pray for my brother, David. She said, oh, my, you're suffering <laughs> from deferred hope. And I thought, what is deferred hope? And she said, deferred hope, I break you off of my brother right now in the name of Jesus. And it was like a rubber band just snapped off of me. And mm -hmm. literally I went, oh, I could breathe again. And then she said, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is like a tree of life. She said, I now release a desire fulfilled in David's life that's like a tree of life. And instantly, Donna, my mind was in flooded or it purged from the inside out, my old stinking thinking on the matters. And my mind was filled with the mind of Christ. And I began to see things from God's perspective on a movie, not a snapshot. You can look yeah. at your situation and as a snapshot, not knowing the God who works all things together for good, the Romans 8, 28 God, that he's going to make it into a wonderful movie. And the backside of the tapestry all you see are the knots and the different colors, and it doesn't make sense. But in God's tapestry, he flips it around, and there's this beautiful picture in your life that he's built behind the scenes, and he was about to reveal it to yes. the world. But you saw it from the snapshot. And instantly, I saw things from God's aerial perspective instead of the earthly perspective. And hope was renewed in a moment— in year 19 of my prison bed. It took about three plus years before I got delivered in a day. And so I began to search the scriptures on this hope deferred thing. And then I wrote a book called Hope Deferred because I believe God is setting people free yes. from hope deferred. And when I teach on this in services, 
what will happen is demons will literally begin to twist in people's bellies at some point because this thing has entered their life. And we'll have to stop the service, and God will deliver them from hope deferred. And they're marvelously set free in an instant, just like he did for me through that saintly woman, because he's no respecter of persons. And with your permission, I'd love to pray for people to get free. I absolutely would. Let me take just a second here because I want to end with this prayer because it's going to be powerful. And I love that you're saying the power and the authority was already there to set you free instantly. You just needed to know how to recognize it. You needed to know what it was so that you could take that authority and your friend could take that authority. And that's exactly what you teach people. So let me tell you one more time before David closes us and prays for you. He has prepared a six CD audio course called Freedom in the Glory. And you'll also get the Hope Shield, which is a Bible insert card for you that will be right at your fingertips Anytime you need a reminder, David, I know that you say the conclusion is there is hope and freedom for all, no matter how they've been bound or what they've been bound for. Will you just address that for whatever reason people are bound and then pray for the breaking of hope deferred? I'd consider it an honor and a privilege. I want to share this right before I pop in. The six CD series, what people may not know, is this is a series that isn't about the exploits of God and they're wonderful to listen to. This series brings you into his presence to where he encounters you. You receive impartation. He raises you up to go do the stuff. And the sixth CD in the series is God is empowering you, equipping you, and setting you free. Then... There's an impartation on sons of God arise where you begin to operate in the miraculous because God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh at this time because it is time. And all the moves of God up until this moment are about to be combined and the latter glory of the house is going to be far greater than the former. And he's looking for a few good men and women he can trust with his gifts his power, his authority to set the captives free to plunder hell and populate heaven. And if you're listening today, I fully believe God's giving you an invitation to the party to get in the game, to crash helmets and to score irrevocable points on the the scoreboards of heaven. And so if I could just say that leading into the prayer, the CD series will help equip you to bring you into that atmosphere for you to go out and be sent out to do the stuff. So as we pray for you to be delivered from hope deferred, the first thing I want to say is, number one, God wants to deliver you. Number two, he's going to deliver you today. He's no respecter of persons. When you hear a testimony, one of the translations of the word testimony is do it again. So now that you've heard a testimony of what God did for a prisoner in a prison cell, if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. He's able to save from the uttermost to the guttermost, those that come to God by him. So right now, in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, hope deferred, I name you and I command you 
There it goes. Detach. Out. There it goes. Butaka shiti boto. Loose him. Loose her. I speak for this thing to be broken, broken, broken. Every plant that's not been planted by my heavenly Father should be rooted up in accordance with Matthew 15, 13. Hope deferred and your seed and your offspring, I lift you out and I purge you. And I thank you, Father God, for plucking that out in accordance with your promises. And now I release by the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus a desire fulfilled that's yes. like a tree of life in accordance with Proverbs 13, 12. I break the assignment yes. against your life, and I declare freedom. Whew. Freedom, 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 yes. freedom, freedom, freedom. I also release a fresh ability to hear the master's voice. I thank you, Father God, for tuning their ears to hear your voice, and I thank you that this is not the climax. This is the flashpoint. Yes. where old things are passed away, all things are become new, and you begin to visit them in songs of the night to set their day in order, dreams and visions. Put a pen and paper by your bed or a recording device and record that which God has shown you. Don't take your dreams lightly. Yes, God is increasing dreams and visions at this hour, and he's giving you fresh vision and focus for where there is no vision People cast off restraint. The prophetic vision is now coming to your life where you've sat under other ministries. God now wants you to sit in addition at his feet like Mary under his ministry, the ministry of the Lord with neology on your knees where you're transformed into the image and likeness of his son from glory to glory, grace to grace, faith to faith as he causes the path to go brighter and brighter, and he carries you from strength to strength and puts your feeble knees back. I still see the Lord beginning to heal knees. Just put your hands on your knees right now. God's healing knees. There it goes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for healing shoulders. He's doing things in joints, muscles, ligaments. He's literally putting in new body parts right now and if you'll get up and begin to move those areas and walk on them and you begin to move your arms and anything to do with muscles joints ligaments and tendons the neck i heard that he's adjusting the c2 he's bringing alignment you heard the testimony of shane's five compression compression fractures and three blown discs i release the fire of god in i command everything that's out of joint to come into alignment i speak a recreative miracle where there's been bones missing, I release brand new body parts by the Holy Spirit. We receive the inheritance that was paid for on the cross 2,000 years ago. Lord, we access, we do not limit the Holy One of Israel today, and we receive your miracle angels right now flowing through the structure of the body. Digestive issues are being healed right now. And I thank you, Father God, for delivering from hope deferred yes. and now releasing full restoration, spirit, soul, body, mind, will, emotions, and imaginations. And I cancel every tormenting dream. Yes. 
Yes. And I break off the spirit of fear. God's not given you a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and a sound mind. I declare and decree power and love and of a sound mind to be released right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, by Shem Yeshua, the name of Jesus. Shama, the Lord is ever present. Shama, the Lord is a Jehovah Shama. The Lord is ever present. Yes. And I release his ever-present, manifest, tangible Shekinah glory like he gave to me by his grace in that prison cell in 1990. I release that same manifestation and promise to you right where you're at. God loves you just the way you are. Yes. But he loves us way too much to leave us in our current condition. It didn't happen to you because of what you did. It happened to you because of what you're called to do. You've been derailed. Now you're re-railed back with God. Return to the penthouse. Repent. Return to the penthouse. I declare you in the penthouse, the highest place with God, with the aerial perspective, co-heirs with Christ, seated far above all principality, power, might, and dominion in him. Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 127, is yours now. Yes. Yes. Amen. Amen. Wow. David, David, thank you so much for your ministry. Thank you for sharing uh, your time with us today. And I just want to leave you with this last word. One of the, the lines that David says that just jumped out at me, bondage can come in many forms. You don't have to be sitting in a jail cell to be bound. But here is the truth. There is hope and freedom for all of us. And my friend, that includes you today. So here's Sid Roth to tell you how you can get this amazing, this brand new and exclusive audio teaching course called Freedom in the Glory by David Harabedian. Sid? David Harabedian spent 20 years in a literal prison, but He says that we've all been in prison. We've all been prisoners in one form or another, whether physical, spiritual, emotional, or even a religious prison. Bondage can come in many forms. But the good news is there's hope and freedom for all, and that includes you. It includes me, too. So if you're ready to break free, from your private prison, here are the keys. David has prepared a brand new and exclusive audio teaching course just for you. It contains six teachings called Freedom in the Glory and a Bible insert card, The Hope Shield. Order today for an investment of only 39 U.S. dollars. To order, call 1-800-447-2697. Once again, that's 1-800-447-2697. Or go to our website at sidroth.org. That's S-I-D-R-O-T-H dot O-R-G. Be sure to ask for offer number 9804. Once again, that's offer number 9804. 